0: A lady came up to me, um, a member here, uh, just stay standing for a second, but uh, she came up to me before the uh, first service. Her name's Doris, and uh, last week they called the family in. Her 28-year-old grandson was uh, in the hospital, and they just said he's not going to make it. And when Doris was there, the family was there, they had their final prayer and everything. She just leaned down and she said to her grandson, "Jesus is in the room and you're going to be okay." So he's being discharged from the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you you may not believe stuff like that. I do. I do yeah and so I don't know what seems impossible right now in your life I don't know what that is but I just want you to stand just for a moment I just want you to tell the Father just go ahead let's pray go ahead whatever it is if you don't mind bow your head just what seems impossible just tell him and just say Lord I believe you can do it we believe you can do it Lord We believe you can do it, Lord. We may feel helpless, but we're never hopeless. We believe you can do it, Lord. So, Father, we give you all these things that are on our heart and mind right now. There is sickness and disease. There's sin and suffering. There's pain and hurt. And we give it to you. Because you reign above it all. So Lord, would you do what we cannot? Would you move in ways that we cannot? And we give this to you today. Whatever this is, we give it to you. We're not going to take it back. We're going to trust you with it. And We pray that your resurrection power will move. And we thank you in advance for the victory. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. amen, amen, all right. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, please turn to Luke 24, Luke 24. We're going to walk through the first 12 verses, Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, uh, there should be one in front of you. You know, time is an interesting thing, isn't it? Time, everything we do, everything we experience happens in this thing called time. We actually think about time all the time. All the time. We have planners and we have calendars and we have clocks and we have watches and we plan things in time. And there are these moments in time when it seems like um, everything just comes to a halt. There are these moments in time where it seems like time freezes. Sometimes these are just amazing moments. I remember being a middle schooler and standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon looking out. I just, it just blew my mind how big it was. Never seen anything like that. Or being on top of Pikes Peak in Colorado. Or standing in front of the pyramids in Egypt, There are these moments that I remember, and it's as if time it just slowed down. I just remember exactly where I was. It's almost like you can smell the memory. You know what I mean? But then there are moments in time that are, seem to freeze, and these are the hard moments. They're the moments when the doctor calls, and they want you to come in. These are moments when the job that you've had for so long is no longer there. These are moments when a relationship breaks, I mean really breaks, maybe with a spouse or a child. There are moments in life when we have to say goodbye to somebody before we were ready to say goodbye to them. And while there are moments in life that maybe are the heights of joy or awe or wonder where time seems to slow down, there are also these heavy moments in life where it seems like time slows down. This is where the apostles, the disciples, and the followers of Jesus are in Luke 24. They've just gone through the crucifixion. Jesus had been pursued so many times, so many times. And he had always slipped away, the gospels say. But not this time. This time he was captured. This time he was beaten. This time he was mocked. This time he was hung on a cross. This time his body was taken off the cross. This time he was placed in Joseph's tomb. In this moment, it's like time is slowing down. They're kind of in a fog, I imagine. But something has happened. Yes, this time Jesus didn't just slip away. This time he was crucified. This time he was placed in a tomb. But also, this time he's not there in the tomb anymore. And what we see in Luke 24, in the first 12 verses, are different reactions to this reality that jesus was crucified placed in a tomb and now the tomb is empty and some of these reactions are like my reactions or maybe your reactions the text opens up in verse 1 luke 24 it says but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb they being the women the women who had prepared the spices so that they could prepare Jesus' body for burial. I imagine that as they walked along, I imagine that they walked with a quick pace. You know the story maybe that Uh, Jesus was taken off the cross. He was placed in the tomb, but the Sabbath was coming. They could not make any of the preparations on the Sabbath. But now it's Sunday. It's early in the morning. They've made the preparations. They want to prepare Jesus' body for a proper burial. And so they're on their way to the tomb. And I imagine their pace was quick. But then something happened. Verse 2 says that, And they found the stone was rolled away. I imagine as they were walking toward the tomb, again, I think their pace was quick, but then at least one of them, somebody had to be the first one, at least one of them saw that the stone had been rolled out of the way in front of the tomb. I think quickly all of them realized it. And I think that quick pace that they were on slowed down just a bit. And then the text says they made their way To the tomb, they looked in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, verse 3 says. Could you imagine this moment? All that they had gone through, all that they had lost, the one who claimed to be the Messiah, the one they believed to be the Messiah, he's now dead, he's put in a tomb, but now the stone is rolled away, they go in and he's not there. Verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise, remember this, the angels told the women in this moment. And then the text says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. Notice the first reaction to seeing the tomb being empty. It is actually not fear. They didn't experience fear until the two men, the two angels, appeared. Before that, in verse 4, it says they looked in and they were Perplexed. Perplexed. Many times, this is our reaction to the resurrection. Many times, when people like me say things like, Hey, I really believe that God became a man, that they killed him, that he died for our sins in our place, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. I actually believe that. Many times, that just leaves us perplexed. The word just means to be at a loss, to be at loss. It just just doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. I'm just not really sure what's going on. But God has a way of revealing himself. God has a way of showing up in the midst of our perplexness and making himself known and reminding us of certain truths. Just like the angels appeared here and reminded the women, remember what he told you. Remember, he told you that this had to happen. He had to be delivered over to sinful men. He had to be crucified, but he was going to be raised on the third day. It was as if the time was right for God to provide clarity and understanding in the midst of these women's perplexity. But the story goes on. It says, in returning from the tomb, they, the women, told all these things to the eleven, that's the apostles, minus Judas, and all the rest, because there were other people there as well. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told, them, uh, who told these things to the apostles. Notice that. So the women have this moment where they walk up, the tomb is now empty. They are perplexed. They are at a loss. But, but then God sends two angels to remind them what Jesus had said to them. The text says in verse 8 they remember Jesus told us this was going to happen. They go back to the apostles and the other disciples. But notice the apostles' reaction. Verse 11 says, But these words, the words of the women, these words seem to them an idle tale. An idle tale. And they did not believe them. They did not believe them. We like to say today, or people say today, you know, well, as modern people, we don't believe in things like miracles. We don't believe in things like the miracle of a resurrection. Just so you know, that's not a modern thing. The very apostles, the disciples who walked with Jesus, who saw him walk on water, who saw him feed thousands with just a few loaves of bread and fish, the very people who saw him heal other people, they don't even believe in the resurrection at this moment. They think this is an idle tale. One way to translate that is uh, this is kind of a delirious story. They think the women are tired. They think that maybe they're worked up. Maybe they've been preparing for this moment to go and prepare Jesus' body for so long and this is just an emotional moment for them. But the very apostles do not believe at this moment that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But notice verse 12. While the apostles and others are sitting around laughing at this moment, laughing, At this idle tale these women have told them. Peter does something. Verse 12 says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Notice this. The first reaction by the women to the empty tomb is they are perplexed. They are at a loss. They don't know what to think about it until God sends two angels to remind them what it means. When they go back and tell the apostles and the other disciples, they think this is laughable. They think it's an idle tale and the text says they do not believe. But Peter did four things. He rose and ran. He stooped and saw. Rose, ran, stooped, saw. He's no longer laughing with the others because he rose, ran, stooped, and saw. Some people stay in that place of just laughing at the idea of a resurrection, of just laughing at the idea of Jesus being Lord. Some people stay in that place Because they never actually look for the answers. They just assume they already have them. And they laugh off anyone else who has a different kind of especially miraculous answer. But not Peter. Peter rose, ran, stooped, and saw The result was he walks home from the tomb, and the text says he is marveling at what has happened. The women were perplexed. The apostles and other disciples, they think this is laughable. Peter is now marveling at the empty tomb. I think walking home, Peter gets that goofy grin on his face. And he starts thinking, I think Jesus told us something like this would happen. Didn't he? No. Yeah. Did he really? I think that's the kind of conversation Peter is having as he's marveling that the tomb is empty. I don't think he fully understands. No. But he knows that Jesus is up to something. Something has happened. I think you move from laughing at the resurrection to marveling at the resurrection when you do what Peter did. I think you got to be willing to stoop so that you can see. I think we move from laughing at the resurrection to marveling at the resurrection when we're willing to stoop so that we can see. There's a story that I love. It's about a statue, a famous statue in Copenhagen, Denmark. Oddly enough, just so you know, we have a whole group of students here today from Denmark. Y'all wave at me. There you are. Wonderful. Yeah, welcome them. Would y'all welcome them? Yeah. And since they're in the room, I'm not going to pronounce the guy's name, just so you know. But there was an artist who carved this statue of Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. It's in the Protestant cathedral there. To this day. And as he's making the statue, he wanted Jesus' arms to be outstretched. He wanted Jesus' head to be up straight, as if Jesus was looking out over the world, making a pronouncement to the entire creation. So he puts the statue in place. He leaves so that it can harden and set in place, but it seems that there was some moisture in the air. So when he returns, when the artist returns, something has happened to the statue. Instead of Jesus's head being up straight and his arms being stretched out, now Jesus's arms are bent down. And Jesus's head, instead of being looking out, now his head is looking straight down. The artist is so distraught that his vision of the sculpture is messed up. He actually picks up a hammer and he's going to destroy the 10-foot statue, but he can't. He can't do it. The people who initially came to see the statue were just blown away and in awe. The amazing thing about the statue and the reason why people still marvel at that statue today is because there's only one place that you can be and see Jesus' face There's only one place that you can be in the entire church and actually look into Jesus' eyes in that statue. Remember I told you his hands are down, his head is down. Only one place. You cannot see his face from the pews. You cannot see his face from the pulpit. You can only see Jesus' face when you are kneeling at his feet. And throughout decades after decades, people have gone and knelt at his feet so that they could look looking in the eye. I think the same is true spiritually. You see, I believe that Jesus will always confirm the curiosity of a serious seeker. I believe that when we are serious about wanting to know who he is, wanting to know what he has done in our life, I believe that he will always reveal himself to us. But you need to be warned, if you're really going to know who this Jesus is, you have to stoop down. If you're really gonna know who this Jesus is, you actually have to kneel before him. And you may say, Chris, why? Why why do I have to kneel before Jesus? Why do I have to humble myself in order to know fully who he is? Why is God an egomaniac that he just wants everybody to bow down? No, 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 no. No, no. Think about it. You see, it's only when we kneel before him only when we kneel before Him. That's the only angle at which the human heart can look into the face of Christ. Only when we kneel before Him. Only when we stoop down. Only when we humble ourselves before Him. That's the only angle in which we can see, truly see the face of Christ. So many times we just want to stand in pride We want to stand in our self-righteousness. We actually want to be our own God, but if we are willing to stoop, if we are willing to kneel before him, that's where we'll see him in all of his glory. That's where he is revealed to us. More books have been written about Jesus than anyone else in human history. More songs have been written about Jesus than anyone else in human history. You can read every book about him. You can sing every song about him, but you will not know him until you kneel before him. You will not know him until you kneel before him. We've been studying the life of Jesus for an entire year. Almost 365 days of devotions. All the Sunday school lessons, small group lessons, family devotionals. There's been about 130 sermons between all of our venues on Sunday morning and Wednesday night about Jesus. And we've learned a lot of things along the way. But as we end this year-long series, I want to say to you, you may have gone through this year with us and you may have learned some things about Jesus you didn't know before. But if you want to truly know him, You have to kneel before him. You want to see him? You have to be willing to stoop to get that vantage point. And let me tell you what you're going to find. If you're willing to stoop so that you can see, if you're willing to kneel so that you can know, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find this thing called peace. Do you know what Jesus' first word is when he appears to the apostles and the disciples in verse 36? They're all sitting around the house talking about what had happened, talking about what this empty tomb thing means. Jesus shows up. He scares them to death, natural reaction. The first word out of his mouth is peace. Peace. That one thing that you want, that one thing that every human long longs for but you got to stoop so that you can see you got to kneel so that you can know and if you really want peace you really want peace you find it at his feet there's a mark on someone's life an evidence how you know that they have been to the feet of Jesus, how you know that they lived their life at the feet of Jesus. And that mark, that evidence is peace. People look for it in all kinds of places. We try to manufacture peace. We try to create peace. We try to buy peace. You can't do it. It's only found in one place and it's at his feet because that's where we truly know him. And to know him is to know the peace he gives. This has been a year-long study. Come on, man. A year-long study. And it's just going to be a really good read unless we're willing to stoop so we can see and kneel so that we may know him. So let's ask for that. Let's ask for a spirit of humility in a world that's full of pride. Let's ask the Lord to get us to that place where we're willing to bend our knees before him every day so that we may receive the peace that only he can give. And let's just say, Lord, keep us there. It's the only angle at which my heart, the eyes of my heart can make eye contact with you. It's the only way to have peace. I want to invite you to stand if you don't mind. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry for the moments in life where we don't think we need to kneel before you. Father, we're sorry for the moments in life when we really think that we have everything worked out for ourselves. Father, we're sorry for the moments in life when pride prevails. But Lord, we thank you for moments in time when we are reminded that there is a place for us. There is a place where resurrection power flows. Father, we thank you for moments in time when we're reminded that at your feet we find the peace that we all desperately want. Father, we thank you for moments in time just like this one where once again we can kneel before you as you raise us up. Father, the resurrection power that calls the tomb to be empty is flowing in this place. May we not let the moment pass us by. May we not harden our hearts, but may we receive it. May we receive it. May we receive it.